Welcome to Today's Issues, offering a Christian response to the issues of the day. Here's your host, Tim Wildman, President of the American Family Association. Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Today's Issues on the American Family Radio Network. Thanks for listening to AFR. Today's Wednesday, March 1, or March 1st, whichever you prefer. Joining me in studio is Fred Jackson. Good morning, Fred. Good morning, Tim. Welcome back. Ah, good to be back. Um, and uh, Christopher, how you doing, brother? Good morning. Christopher Woodward, a uh, news reporter for American Family Radio. What are you typing over there, Chris? I'm logging into Facebook so I can help post articles for this great show I'm on. Outstanding. All right. <laughs> you are correct. Yeah, It's an outstanding show. It is. And you're doing a great job It's typing. the best show on AFR called Today's Issues, if I may say so. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, lots to talk about today. Uh, listen, uh, today's the day we're going to play the uh, speech from Governor Ron DeSantis that I uh, mentioned several times that mm-hmm. I was in person for uh, a few weeks back in in South Florida. And so we're going to play that. It's about a 35-minute talk that he gave. It's uninter- We're going to play it uninterrupted. And the reason for that, of course, he's the governor of Florida, and <clears throat> he's a potential uh, presidential candidate on the Republican side. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, I guess more than that, I just thought it was a great talk and great speech. And I thought, you know, our listeners have heard of Governor DeSantis, but they probably never heard him lay out uh, sort of his vision for government. Yeah. Right. And his mm-hmm. beliefs. Mm-hmm. So this would be a good opportunity to let him speak for himself. Yeah. Um, we've all heard former President Trump a thousand times. We've all heard Governor Nikki Haley, I think. Many times, mm-hmm. uh, most people uh, know know them very well, but uh, don't know much about Governor DeSantis other than that he won re-election by landslide, and a lot of people say he's doing a great job in the state yeah. of Florida. Yeah. So we'll hear from him. That's coming up uh, at the bottom of the hour. We're going to play it from ten thirty to eleven, like in twenty five, twenty three minutes or so. From now, so that's coming up on the program today. Uh, so you want to stay tuned for that. All right, uh, who 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 got the lead story today? It is me uh, this morning. Uh, we want to begin with offering our <laughs> thoughts and prayers uh, for the people of Greece, where a head-on collision between a passenger train and a freight train flattened carriages and killed at least thirty-six people and injured some eighty-five. Uh, The death toll there is expected to rise. The cause of the crash uh, was not immediately clear, but an individual described as a station master uh, in the nearby city of Larissa was arrested today. Uh, The police did not release his name. Uh, Another two people have been detained for questioning. So horrible situation there in Greece. Uh, We'll continue covering it on AFN.net. 36 dead? 36 wow. dead and uh, I think about 80 plus uh, injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was reading some of the details this morning. My guess at this point, if it's a train collision, that somewhere along the way there were dual tracks. Like if you're, you've been around where railway tracks are, uh, trains pass each other and there's two two right. tracks. Uh, my my guess is is that <clears throat> they've arrested somebody, a sta- the station master. I don't know if it's his responsibility, but that uh, 
the two trains heading toward each other. And and train systems are very sophisticated today. Uh, you normally know where the two trains are. But somehow there there was a step that was missed, perhaps, and these two trains ended up on the same track heading at a fairly high speed towards each other. The indication was a high speed. They're saying some of the bodies, victims' bodies, were thrown over 150 feet. Wow. They went through the windows of these passenger train cars, et cetera, et cetera. So just just horrible what happened in Greece. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've traveled to Greece four or five times. Mm. I've been to uh, Athens and to Corinth and on a cruise, uh, a day cruise, mm-hmm. some of the Greek islands. Just beautiful. It beautiful, is. Beautiful scenery. Gorgeous. <clears throat> so um, very sad, as you say, tragic situation, and I guess we'll find out. Probably their death toll will rise, mm-hmm. you know, as they do the, um, uh, you know, go out and, and, and deal with the with the train wreck there. Mm-hmm. The train crash, I should say. Yeah. Next story, Chris. Well, this is continuing coverage of something we've spent the week talking about, really the last three years, that being the origins of COVID. And I bring this up because FBI Director Christopher Ray had a sit-down interview with Brett Baer of Fox News. Uh, And Christopher Wray said the FBI believes the origins of COVID involve a lab incident in Wuhan, China, as I think millions of Mm. Americans have said for the last couple of years. I tell you, we can play that clip twice. I want to play it. Do do we have it ready? Yes. No, we have we have the nugget bite here and then we have more that we can do. Uh, so who are we about to hear? This is uh, Christopher Ray telling Brett Baer the FBI believes the origins of COVID involve a lab incident in Wuhan, clip one. The FBI has for uh, quite some time now assessed that the origins of the pandemic are most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan. That is nothing <clears throat> different from what people were saying three years ago in this country. Yeah, he, he did use the caveats most likely and potential there in his remarks. He didn't just, <clears throat> but to me, what he's saying is we all know that this was a lab leak yeah. in Wuhan, China, mm-hmm. and not a wet market, bat related. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was man, it was man made, manufactured by the Chinese. It got out. Don't know if it was an accident or on purpose, but it got out and spread around the world. You know, former President Trump is batting almost a thousand. When it comes to what he said yes. years ago about the whole pandemic, COVID, the the origins of it, all of that sort of thing. And not only former President Trump, but many conservatives who were then banned for even suggesting that. You know, it was all dismissed as conspiracy <clears throat> theories, all of those sorts of things. But we're just learning almost every several weeks now another ingredient that, oh, my, what those conservatives said that two years ago, two and a half years ago, you know what? It looks like it's true. Well, many in the liberal media kept saying over and over and over when it was mentioned that this was uh, a, a potential or most likely a, a uh, lab leak mm-hmm. out of Wuhan, China, because there's a lab there right. that does these kind of things. Coincidental. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, that, that had been, quote, debunked. And this is what the left does all the time. If it, they, it's something they disagree with, it, they don't have to prove it. It's just if, if uh, somebody on the right says something, they say, it's, that's been debunked. Mm-hmm. That's misinformation. Mm-hmm. False. Fact check. They don't ever fact check Biden. <laughs> fact check went away after President Trump left office. Mm-hmm. You know, 
They don't ever fact check. But you could fact check Biden every day and Kamala Harris. They 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 tell whoppers mm-hmm. uh, constantly. Uh, so, uh, but this is the FBI director, mm-hmm. the sitting FBI director, saying that the FBI believes this is what I got from what he said. This this was a lab leak. Mm-hmm. This comes on the heels of the Department of Energy. Uh, the the uh, uh, they're going to con- they're going to conclude about the same thing. Yes. True? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, the they Wall Street Journal about- said that. Yeah. yeah. So. You know, like you said, Fred, uh, this is kind of like uh, to quote Gomer Pyle, Shazam. Yeah. You know, really? Mm-hmm. You're, you're just now coming to this. Uh, Golly. Yeah. Ever, ever, uh, everybody's, not everybody, but most rational, reasonable people have also come to the conclusion this was a uh, a leak. Yeah. And as you just mentioned a moment ago, this goes to uh, where the mainstream media is. The mainstream media is not interested in truth. No, they're not. They're interested in a narrative. A left-wing narrative. That's that. Yeah. That's what is driving most of the journalism, uh, the mainstream journalism today. That's why they're is, losing credibility by the day. That's yeah. right. They are and, lapdogs. I've said this before. The mainstream media, they are lapdogs for the Democratic Party and the left. They're yes. lapdogs for Mr. Fauci right. and everybody else at the mm-hmm. CDC. They're not interested in truth. That was the narrative at the time. That's what they ran with, and they tried to ensure social media, big sure. social media was the same way. Shut it down. Shut it down. To your point, um, I'll set this up by mentioning Donald Trump. I think Red Trump. had points, actually. Well, Donald Trump said in 2020 that this was a lab leak, and people, you know, oh, he's been, you know, he, he doesn't like Asian people. He's a racist, and, you know, he's a conspiracy theorist. One of the people that basically labeled anybody Believing in the lab leak theory, a, a conspiracy theorist was Joy Reid of MSNBC. I've got a short clip of her. Uh, when is this from? This is Joy Reid in 2020 during the Trump administration saying anybody who believes in the lab leak theory is a conspiracy theorist. Clip six. In a lab in Wuhan, China. And yet this week, Donald Trump is still pushing the debunked bunkum, despite his own intelligence community's findings that that is simply not true. See... <clears throat> But the she, but now, that, now, Joy uh, Reed there on NBC, of course, she's she's up to, I think she cracked double-digit viewers last week. I think she's <laughs> over 11 to 12, and some of that, it's depending on whether her family, family's watching her show. But uh, MSNBC, correct? Yes. Okay, so she just, that's from 2020. Uh, she has one of the most severe cases of DTS that exists in the country. Uh, TDS, right? Mm. Trump Trump derangement syndrome. TDS, TDS. Trump derangement syndrome. And she expresses it. uh, She expressed it daily when President Trump was in office. Uh, She just said that she's mocking President Trump for saying this was a Wuhan. This came from a A lab in Wuhan. Mm. And here we are. I wonder if she'll come out tonight and apologize. (laughs) Uh, Fred expresses the reality of the situation. I'm I'm somewhat skeptical. Yeah, being a lefty means never having to say you're sorry. Uh, You know, you just move on to the next uh, wild claim. Get a better chance of Suwani coming back to the SEC and defeating Alabama for the title. Suwami? Suwani. Oh, Suwani. You pulled that one out of his Way back in the day. Suwani was a school that used to be in uh, the SEC and left a long time ago. You you know your history of college uh, athletics there, Chris. I'm impressed. Um, so, uh, 
this is uh, the, the dams beginning to break even in the mainstream media. You know, it took them, what did it take them a couple of years on the Hunter, Lap, Hunter Biden laptop story before the mainstream media finally admitted what the New York Post and others uh, verified at the time mm-hmm. that the Hunter laptop <clears throat> story was true. Mm-hmm. And uh, remember, they didn't want to acknowledge that. They, yep. thought, they said that was uh, misinformation or, yep. or Russian uh, disinformation. Uh, Russian disinformation. Yeah, yeah. So. CBS uh, did their acknowledgement of the Hunter Biden laptop uh, coincidentally uh, after the midterm election. They brought in um, the lady from Fox who left for uh, CBS, Catherine. Heritage. Uh, yes. Uh, they brought her on to verify that it was true. Uh, and even then, it was like it was like she tagged out of her story saying, and by the way, it is true. Like, And that was their acknowledgement of it. Well, CNN, CNN uh, they're, they're, they're way down there with viewers. I mean, they're like, yep. And they, they've lost uh, so many people over the last 10 years, especially – they they went all in for uh, <clears throat> they went all not in for they went uh, all um, against Trump mm-hmm. for four years and it was Trump every day all day with yep. CNN mm-hmm. completely one sided mm-hmm. and they got decent viewership during that uh, time period but they sold their soul <laughs> to uh, for the future. So that when Donald Trump was no longer in office, then they they no longer had anybody to watch him. No, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And then they turned to the January 6th Commission, and it was right. day by day by day. Now that's gone, and now that's gone. They're down to gardening tips, huh? <laughs> yes. Aren't they it's, on CNN? It's pathetic. Gardening tips with Don Lemon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or women haven't reached their prime. Yeah. I don't even know who's on there anymore. Don Lemon was the last name I recognized. He might be on his way out, depending on the news outlet you follow. Right. He said women are past their prime. Yeah, that's right. If they, if they get over 50, they're done. They're, mm-hmm. use, they're not useful. If, uh, if stair, if, <laughs> he said that right in front of two women. Yeah, if stairs are, could kill you, uh, <laughs> right. he was he was getting the death stare from his co-hosts. Yeah. Don, that's, that was a genius <laughs> stroke right there, a stroke of genius. Uh, wow. So he was trying to insult Nikki Haley. Yes. Yes. He That's was. what he was trying to do, right. but it backfired. <laughs> if you didn't see that clip folks, so you got Don Lemon on CNN mm-hmm. and he, he's talking about how he's, 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 he's got side by side. He, there's three of them. Yeah. Two of, two of them are women sitting on either side of him. One of them is post 50, I think. Uh, so she's sitting there and he's saying, yeah. Women are, uh, you know, Nikki Haley is past her prime. He, he he kept going on and on. I know. He was like, he was like. Uh, he was like, the, look at the science. Right, he, science. He yeah, Google it, he said. Google <laughs> it. And I'm going, man, are you drinking heavily today or what? what is, what's going on? It's the anyway, morning show, Don. So the, so the ladies were just like uh, appalled, you know, and he got suspended for a few days. Yes. And uh, it's a very funny clip to watch. I will post in the comments section of the Facebook page. If you're watching the show on Facebook, I'll okay. do, uh, I'll post the link here. It'll say flashback, and it'll have an article uh, that I believe you can watch and read his comments. Uh, all right, speaking of which, if you want to watch the show, this show on or a lot uh, on the internet, go to Facebook Live, type in today's issues, and we live video stream the show there. Today's issues on Facebook, and we also uh, post the stories like Chris just mentioned that we discuss on our Facebook page. 
And we have our own streaming service, uh, live video streaming, streaming.afa.net. So check that out, streaming.afa.net. We live video stream most of all our shows here on American Family Radio. It's a one-time sign-up. Takes you about 60 seconds, maybe. And then, boom, you're able to watch uh, <clears throat> all the shows that we video stream here on American Family Radio. Again, coming up in about seven or eight minutes, uh, some, uh, we will uh, air the uh, the speech that <clears throat> I was uh, I heard uh, given by Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida a few weeks back. Uh, next story, Chris. Well, this could very well have been the lead story today. We had a lot of uh, hard news to go over, but um, voters in Chicago have denied incumbent Mayor Lori Lightfoot a second term. Um, instead, her two opponents are going to meet in a runoff later this year to uh, to take her job. Um, as even the Associated Press points out, quote, opponents blamed Lori Lightfoot for doing little or nothing to curb one of the worst crime rates in the nation. Uh, she was also criticized as being a divisive, overly contentious leader. So people in Chicago have had enough of Lori Lightfoot, who, by the way, is the first elected Chicago mayor to lose a re-election bid since 1983 when I was one year old. Yeah. Yeah, one of the headlines this morning on that uh, that story is crime doesn't pay, and uh, what they're alluding to, as as uh, Chris has been talking about, you know, every weekend we saw the number of murders, the number of assaults in Chicago, and at the same time, uh, Lori Lightfoot bought in totally on the defund the police you know, reform police, all of this sort of thing. And she did not change her stance on that heading into this election. Well, the people of Chicago fired her last night. They did. They fired her. She didn't even come close uh, to winning re-election. And, in fact, the, there's two people going to be in a runoff in early April. One of them is a, a guy who had the endorsement of the police union there in Chicago. Mm-hmm. He wants to hire – he ran on this – he wants to hire hundreds of more police officers in Chicago. What's his, his name? His whole theme. His whole theme was. Uh, uh, What's his name? Do you know his name? Yes. It is Paul Velas, if I'm yes. saying his name correctly. Is he the city school CEO? Yeah, former okay. school CEO. Yes. And his uh, competitor for the runoff is going to be uh, Brandon Johnson. Now, Brandon Johnson is all in with the teachers union. He has said in the past that he would like to defund the police department. So you're going to have a very pro-police individual and a very anti-police individual facing off each other. So, and one of the other... Lori Lightfoot, though, she's she's now going to be former mayor, right? Yes, yes. What do you guys think the future holds for mayor, former mayor Lightfoot? She will be on MSNBC. <laughs> yeah. But she's past her prime. <laughs> okay, Don. <laughs> <clears throat> you know what? <clears throat> now, <clears throat> it's going to be interesting to see if, if crime – crime played a major part, obviously. In this. It may have been the the biggest issue. Uh, that and, and businesses and leaving Chicago. Mm-hmm. But Lori Lightfoot, the mayor for the last four years uh, – she she was she's like Al Sharpton. I mean, she just uh, doesn't believe in punishing crime. No, nope. uh, is anti police. I don't know if Al Sharpton's anti police, but well, I guess he is in many respects. Yes. But you know, she's a race baiter. 
Yeah. Uh, in fact, she tried to she tried to push the race narrative in this uh, mm-hmm. election too. Yeah. But <clears throat> she lost big time. She lost with sixteen percent of the vote. And like my wife said last night, I wonder if her family even voted for. Her. When, you, when you're an incumbent and you get sixteen percent, that means you might as well say nobody wants you to be mayor anymore. Go home. Yeah, you yeah. were the Walter Mondale of mayors. Yeah. You know, was it the AP this morning in the headline on this said she was the first uh, black lesbian mayor of a right. ma- major city. Right. And, you know, she checked the boxes on that front, but <clears throat> the people of Chicago said, well, that's nice, but she's not doing anything to solve the big problems. Right. Are we going straight to the uh, talk? Or are we going to take a... Uh... Okay. All right, we will be back in, uh, in a couple of minutes, and then I'll set up uh, the uh, talk by uh, the speech, rather, by uh, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. Stay with us. Friendships is offering an exciting opportunity for young adults who want to grow in their walk with God, become physically fit, and learn relief ministry while serving in the Middle East. This is an amazing opportunity to serve God and experience Israel. Check out Seahawks One Year Scholarship Program at friendships.org or call 337-433-5022. That's 337-433-5022. The next session begins August 19th. And my father, your great-grandfather, fought in World War II. Really? He was a gunner on the big ship out in the Pacific Ocean. Wow. Your great-grandmother did her part, too. Was she on a ship? Oh, no. She stayed back home. She and a lot of her friends worked really hard in a factory because the men had gone off to war. And they held scrap metal drives to help in the war effort. The folks back home were heroes, too. Here at the American Family Association, we consider you the heroes back home. As you fulfill your responsibility of caring for your family day to day, your partnership with us is crucial as we fight the enemies of freedom in America. Thank you for your commitment to the American Family Association. Grandpa, what's a scrap metal drive? (laughs) Let's get some cookies and I'll tell you all about it. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary sponsored by Liberty University. Take advantage of the warmer weather and come explore Liberty University's campus, ranked number four best college campus in America by Niche.com. Join us for Experience LU, an all-day event that shows off our dorm rooms, classrooms, and award-winning dining hall. Or, if you're short on time, attend a four-hour student-led campus tour to hit the highlights. To learn more or schedule your visit to Liberty University, text VISITLU to 49596. Again, that's VISITLU to 49596. When Johnny Bell was hired by the U.S. Postal Service, he was offered a salary of a buck eighty-one cents an hour. That was more than seventy years ago, when a postage stamp cost about three cents. Mr. Bell is still on the job, delivering the mail in Oklahoma City, and at the age of ninety-three, he now holds the distinction of being America's longest-serving and oldest mailman. 
The great-grandfather says he likes working eight hours a day, keeps his mind operating. Mr. Bell told Channel 9 News that all these years later, he still has the same job and the same wife. His co-workers threw a party to honor his big anniversary. After a slice of cake, he went right back to work. Neither rain, nor snow, nor heat, nor gloom of night will keep Mr. Bell from his appointed rounds, and neither will old age. Be sure to get a copy of my book, Culture Jihad. It's available at your favorite bookstore and toddsterns.com. This is Today's Issues. Email your comments to comments at AFR.net. Past broadcasts of Today's Issues are available for listening and viewing in the archive at AFR.net. Now, back to more of Today's Issues. Hey, welcome back. I'm Tim Wildman with Fred Jackson and Chris Woodward. Thank you for listening to American Family Radio. Okay, we're going to go to the uh, speech by Governor Ron DeSantis. I'll set it up real quickly. Uh, this was in South Florida, uh, I don't know, three weeks ago, something like that. Uh, I t- attended a conference of conservative uh, leaders, many of them names, if I could mention, our listeners would recognize, and Christian uh, people who lead Christian organizations as well. <clears throat> Governor Ron DeSantis and uh, President Trump, it was at his hotel, President Trump's hotel, Doral, Miami. Uh, President Trump spoke to the group, but it was by phone. It was a brief greeting, basically, message. Uh, but Governor DeSantis, both of them were invited to attend in person. Governor DeSantis decided to uh, fly from Tallahassee and speak to the uh, the group in person. It's a banquet situation. I say banquet. I mean, people are, have, have just had dinner, okay? And uh, so so then the uh, speakers announced, and it's Governor DeSantis. So there, he was interrupted, obviously, by applause. This isn't a media speech. Or a, this is a, uh, a, 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 a dinner, after-dinner speech, okay? So that's the situation, and we'll play the speech in its entirety and uh, uninterrupted. So here we go. Thank you. We love you, too, and we're proud of what we've been able to do in the state of Florida. But it's important to understand none of this was preordained. If you go back to November of 2018, I emerged the winner of a very hard-fought election, had a lot of uh, winds blowing against us, media, you name it. We won that race by about a half a percentage point. We won by a total net votes of about 32,000 votes in a state of, at that time, probably about 21 million people. And the demography of our state was such that there were 300,000 more registered Democrats in Florida than Republicans. Well, fast forward to this November, and not only did we win re-election, instead of 32,000 votes, we won by 1.5 million vote margin. The largest margin for any governor race in Florida history, nearly 20 percent of the vote margin, and we got the highest percentage of the vote that any Republican governor candidate has received in the history of the state of Florida. By Election Day 2022, whereas we had been in the hole almost 300,000 registrations, We had our election where we were up 300,000 registrations over the Democrats. The first time in our history that we've had more registered Republicans and Democrats. And today, 
Less than 90 days after that election, when we were up 300,000 registrants, Republicans are now up 410,000 registrants. We also stand here today as the nation's fastest growing state. We stand here today as the, na- as the state leading the nation in net in-migration, not just last year, but over the last few years. We are number one in the country in education freedom. We are number one in the country in parental involvement in education, and we are number one in the country in public higher education. Many of you know we have no income tax, and hence we have one of the lowest per capita tax burdens of any state in these United States, as well as one of the lowest debt burdens of any state per capita in these United States. And we're currently enjoying the largest budget surplus in the history of the state of Florida. So, so, so how did we get here? Because uh, I think it's a lesson that can be replicated in other states and, and throughout the country. So I take office in January of 2019. And a lot of people were saying, look, uh, you know, it was a very close election very closely divided state. And in fact, if you look at the decade leading into me getting elected governor, 2010, governor race, one-point margin. 2012, presidential race, one-point margin. 2014, governor race, one-point margin. 2016, presidential, one-point margin. And of course, mine was even less than one point. So that's the political terrain that you're facing. People said, you know, you got to probably trim your sails a little bit. Uh, you got to understand that this was a very close election and, uh, and just be mindful of that. And my view was, you know, I may have gotten 50% of the vote, but I earned 100% of the executive power, and I intend to use it. I intend to use it because I had an agenda that I had pledged that I would, that I would pursue, but I also intended to use it because I knew successfully implementing that agenda would lead me much higher uh, than 50% uh, in the future. Now, to do this, I made the decision I am not doing any polls. Uh, the polls can tell you maybe a snapshot. I don't even think they ask the right questions. A poll does not tell you what the result of leadership is. I could poll this room about something. That's a snapshot in time. What I'm interested in is if I set the vision and execute the vision and produce results, then what are people going to say? So we never use polls. And people say, well, how do you know? You kind of got to test like, like what's going on. I'm out and about all the time, so I talk to people. But one of the things I use just for feedback is, you know, if I'm doing things and the legacy media is upset and they're attacking me, I know I am on the right track. I made sure to get all the different authorities that I had, constitutional, statutory, customary. What can I do alone? What do I need the legislator for? What can I do vis-a-vis local governments, like removing these election officials? So we knew uh, the powers 
And that's important because you're an executive. You're not the, the king. You're part of a constitutional system. So you have an agenda and you got to get the agenda to stick. So you got to know what levers to pull and you got to know where the, where the potential landmines are. So we understood that um, on day one. And we also uh, had the view that I'm not just going to sit back and, and hope that good things happen or be reactive to what the media is doing. I'm going on offense. We're going on offense every single day. And we made a big impact in that first year, and people were like, wow, this is uh, uh, what Hamilton called energy in the executive, and we were proud of that. Then COVID hit, and that kind of upended everything that, that was going on. And, and I was in a situation, given our state's unique demographics, one of the largest states in the country, massive metro areas all across the country, one of the most elderly populations uh, in the country, that I was targeted by the media because they wanted Florida to fail. And so we as a leader had to make the decision. Because, you know, the safe thing to do is to just say, you know, these health bureaucrats are telling me I've got to do all these things, so I'm just going to do that, and I'm going to say, what do you want me to do? That's what the medical people are saying. But that wasn't the way I saw it. You know, I believe when President Eisenhower gave his farewell address, he got it right. He said that, you know, with science and government research and all this stuff being intermingled, there's a danger that public policy itself could become captive, captive to what he called a scientific technological elite. He warned against that. He warned, it was basically warning against people like Dr. Fauci, because they do not have, because they do not have the capacity to get outside their narrow window and understand all the different competing factors in society. It's really up to the leader, the elected leader, the statesman, to harmonize all those different things. And so we made the decision, uh, we are going to defy the experts. We are not going to allow the state of Florida to descend into some type of Faucian dystopia. Now... This was something that was not necessarily the smart thing to do politically. Because if you go back to April, May, June 2020, it was mass hysteria. Uh, anytime you were doing, thinking for yourself, they were coming after you. They were coming after me big time. I had a lot of my own supporters saying, man, you got to do something different because you are getting hammered day in and day out. Uh, but my view on all that was, as a leader... I got to look out for the people that elected me. I got to look out for their jobs and I have to prefer their interests over my own interests. So I didn't know what the politics would do. I thought maybe it would end up being bad for me, but I was perfectly willing to accept those consequences if I knew in my heart I was doing what was right. And and the funny thing happened that what the people of Florida saw, even though, you know, if you looked at these polls and the media would put out the businesses, the schools, everything we did, uh, I was on the wrong side of opinion, according to what people were saying. But you know, what I think the people of Florida saw is this guy knows his stuff. Uh, he's got the vision. He's standing his ground. Uh, he's not backing down. And after a few months later, people had been converted and we started to develop a culture of Florida that, yes, you know, we are doing it different. Um, and we're the free state of Florida. So that was a huge, huge test. We all had to face it. 
But we're proud of being, being one of the few uh, who stood up when it really, really counted. And I think if Florida had not done what we did, uh, I think the lockdowners would have won. Uh, I think the vax mandates would have won. And I think this country would be less free than it is today. But that's just not... That's not really the only way, reason why we're the free state of Florida. What I tell people, and I think most of you know, that freedom is under attack not just by what happens in the halls of legislatures, not even just what happens at the hands of our bureaucracy, which is really serious, but you have leftist ideology that has taken over so many institutions in our society. You see it in K-12 education, higher education, corporate America, tech, all these different things, and they're trying to impose an agenda that is antithetical to our founding principles and to the survival of freedom. So in Florida, we believe a key part of freedom is to protect our people from the pathologies of the left being shoved down their throat in institution after institution. And so we're on offense across all of those institutions. We believe our K-12 school system should be about classical education, not political indoctrination. We've led the nation on school choice, and we are expanding that this year. We are also the only state that I know of that's taking on school unions. We are going to institute paycheck protection for all teachers in the state of Florida. We have banned critical race theory in our K-12 schools because we're not going to teach our kids to hate our country or to hate each other, especially on your taxpayer's dime. And when we had a recent thing where the College Board was proposing a new AP course in African-American studies, we looked and we said, okay, there's three sections, and then there's a fourth section, which is Marxist studies. They had queer theory. They had gender ideology. They had reparations. They had BLM. They had all this stuff. And so I don't think Florida was the only state that actually found that objectionable. It clearly doesn't follow our standards. But we were the only state willing to stand up publicly and fight it. And the reason is very simple. You know the reason. The minute we did that, what were they saying about me? Calling your names, doing this, doing that. But we cannot allow the left to have a veto over us doing what's right just because they're going to call you bad names. And we don't allow that in the state of Florida. So we stood up and the college board took the woke out. So that is a victory for education in this country. We've also been on the front lines on fighting gender ideology in our schools. We even had a little kerfluffle with a company that has a, a little bit of a footprint in the state of Florida. They didn't like the fact that we were saying no to sexualizing young kids and having gender ideology. And a lot of people said we couldn't do this because they're too powerful, and they always get their way. But we had news for them. They don't run the state of Florida. We run the state of Florida. So we signed it into law. We did what was right. 
And we fought back, and now because we did that, this week, next week, sometime in the next few weeks, I'll be signing legislation that will finally and permanently remove Disney's self-governing status in the state of Florida. They're going to pay their fair share of taxes. They're going to pay the debts. And nobody in Florida is going to have to pay more. And it's very important. And you know, when I was doing that, there was a, there was a big uh, spasm with the media. And what they tried to say is, oh, DeSantis stand because Disney, they're too powerful. He can't do it. I did it. And then like, well, the Disney employees are going to penalize him for standing up against, against that. Well, most Disney employees live in Osceola County. And a Republican governor candidate hasn't won that in quite some time. Uh, until me, and we want it going away. So it just shows you. We're proud of what we're doing, what we have done, and what we're continuing to do to reform higher education in this country and in our state. Um, the purpose of higher education somehow has devolved into the imposition of a particular ideology and to using these institutions to promote political activism and social justice. That is not the proper purpose of a university. University is about the pursuit of truth. It's about academic rigor. It's about giving students the foundation so they can think for themselves about great issues that come before our society. And I reject this idea that if we're bringing accountability to higher education, somehow that's a misuse of government. These are public institutions that are funded by the taxpayer. They don't have the right to do whatever the heck they want to do with your money. So we're bringing accountability. We've already enacted reform to tenure. Now in the state of Florida, all tenured professors must undergo review once every five years and can be let go by the Board of Trustees. And we have civics institutes that have been put in three of our universities modeled after what's happened in Princeton with Robbie George. But we are going to this year put reforms in so that those institutes can hire people directly through the board of trustees so that the current faculty don't have an ideological veto over the people that we're bringing in to teach. You may have heard, uh, you probably never heard of this place before two months ago, but more recently, we had a small liberal arts college in Sarasota called New College. Uh, I didn't know what it was when I first became governor. I worked, I said, can we close it? And uh, we, didn't, we didn't quite get that done. So I said, all right, we got to do something with it. It's supposed to be the premier liberal arts honors college in the state of Florida, but instead, uh, it's basically like Marxist studies, left of left. I mean, just totally unproductive. And so we put seven conservative board members at the university. They've replaced the president. And they have a mission to turn it into whatever it is now into the premier classical liberal arts education in all the United States. We announced this year, and we'll get it done through the legislature in our upcoming session, and I think we'll be the first state to do this, the elimination of all DEI bureaucracies and bureaucrats in every university and college in the state of Florida.
This is basically like Maoist in what they're doing by trying to impose this type of leftist ideology and worldview. Bad enough when that's in the classroom, but to make that the official policy of the administrations in all these universities. And so this has grown like wildfire all throughout the state, all throughout the country. Um, and in the state of Florida, um, it's about to die a sudden death. And the universities are important because if you think about what we're dealing with with corporate wokeness, the corporate wokeness is a direct result of what's been going on in these universities for the last 20 years. These are people that came up, they all share the same overall worldview, and they try to impose that uh, through the economic sphere. This would not have been something we would have been concerned about probably 40, 50 years ago, but now it's a huge, huge issue. So in Florida, we're leading the fight against things like ESG, what they're trying to do. And it's not just that it's bad policy. It is bad policy. The idea that we're going to do windmills and solar for energy is absurd. But it's more than just what policies. What they're trying to do is distort constitutional government. These are policies that could not be enacted through the normal constitutional process. They're trying to do an end run around that, pool their economic might, and then impose this on our society with no accountability from anywhere. So what I've said repeatedly is in the state of Florida, policies like you see in Davos at the World Economic Forum in these places, those policies are dead on arrival here in Florida. And we've got more to do in the corporate sphere. We're going to do anti-discrimination in the financial institutions so that they can't discriminate against gun shop owners or Christians and their banking practices. We're going to protect employees from having to suffer through these discriminatory DEI trainings in the corporate sphere. It's totally ridiculous. And we're also going on offense in other places that the left have got a foothold. Criminal justice. We have Soros funding and electing prosecutors all across this country to ignore the law and put their own people at risk. We had one in Tampa that said he was not going to follow the pro-life laws that we had enacted. And he said that and he signed a letter to that effect. So I removed him from his post. It is our responsibility and duty in the state of Florida to fight the woke wherever it may be. And so we fight the woke in the corporations. We fight the woke in the halls of the legislature. We fight the woke in the schools and in the university. We will never surrender to the woke mob. The state of Florida is where woke goes to die. Now, we're proud of all that we've been able to do and lead on. I tell you, the indispensable element that we need from elected officials in particular is you can be right on the issues, you can understand them, but you've got to have the courage of your convictions to stand up 
when it's not easy. Because when you're going after these sacred cows of the left, they don't just take that lying down. They come after you. It's not always easy to have to deal with that. So you got to be willing to stand strong, not back down. And you got to be willing to tell it like it is. And I can tell you in Florida, if you ask people about me, people that, that, that like me, but even people that may not have voted for me, they will all acknowledge that I stand for what I believe in and I speak what I believe. And this is just being a straight shooter and being someone that you know what you're going to get. People respond to that. They're sick of shifty politicians trying to bend to the wind, trying to please everybody. You're not going to please everybody. But when you recognize that and you do what's right, you end up pleasing a lot more people uh, than you would otherwise thought. So I think what we've shown in the state of Florida is that if you exercise strong leadership, if you implement a bold agenda that are rooted in our common principles, not only can you deliver historic policy results, but you can also win historic political victories. I mentioned uh, the great margin we had, and I thank Floridians. We had a lot of great support from pro-life Floridians who were very instrumental in getting us where we were. We won, now that we have all the data, we ended up winning over 60% of Latinos in the state of Florida. We won right here in Miami-Dade County, first time in a generation, and not only did we win it, we won it by 11%. Uh, we flipped Palm Beach County for the first time in 40 years. And get this, we even, barely, but we did, we won single women in the state of Florida. Even though, even though their entire campaign was spending 10, 10, 20, 30 million dollars attacking me on right to life. And so that shows you uh, that it can be done. And what's happened in Florida, because we've been very clear on all this, we have developed a brand here that we didn't really have. I was born and raised here. I've always loved the state, but we didn't really have that. So we've got a mojo about us, about this freedom focus, and really people revel in the fact that we buck the experts, that we weren't listening to people who ended up being wrong and that we're willing to do it our own way. So what's happened here in Florida is you look around the country, not that many bright spots in terms of some of the stuff that's going on. Certainly not a lot of bright spots in Washington, D.C. Certainly not a lot of bright spots in the states that have their own citizens flooding to get out of there to be able to come right here. But Florida really stands as a shining light. We are carrying on what George Washington called the sacred fire of liberty. Uh, this is... This is a fire that burned in Independence Hall in 1776 when our founders pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor so that they could establish a new nation conceived in liberty. It's the fire that burned at a cemetery in Gettysburg when the first Republican president pledged to this nation a new birth of freedom. It's the fire that burned on the shores of Normandy when the Band of Brothers showed up to end Nazism and to save freedom in the world. It's the fire that burned on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial when a young preacher said the Declaration of Independence says what it means and means what it says. It's the sacred fire that burned when a resolute president stood at the gates of the Berlin Wall and said, tear down this wall. 
We are proof that that fire can burn still. We are proof that that fire can burn not just in Florida, but in other states and indeed everywhere across these United States. Just stand for what's right. Just trust in the Lord and don't ever, ever back down. Thank you all. God bless. That is Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. Again, uh, the speech he gave about three weeks ago or so that I heard in person, and I thought that our listeners would appreciate hearing it from for themselves. Uh, what do you think there, Fred? Quite a speech. Uh, he had all the uh, high points. <clears throat> Florida, woke, where woke goes to die. And that was kind of the theme. He took on and, and talked about taking on mainstream media. Do not run your policies according to what the mainstream media thinks about you. He hit the high points about what he's done in education reform. He hit the high points of what he's done with uh, uh, Soros-sponsored DAs who don't want to go along with you. He basically said, you do what is right. You do not worry about what others think think that you're doing. Do what is right for the people of your state. And what he is saying, the last election, November when he was elected with a huge margin compared to his first election a few years earlier, is that the people will appreciate you taking a stand, taking a principled stand, fighting for their values, fighting for freedom. I heard a speech that perhaps we will hear again if he decides to run for president. Mm-hmm. Chris? I will say a lot of what he said there about uh, winning certain demographics uh, and picking up Miami-Dade County, that is uh, exactly what John Stenberger had to say a couple of days ago on this very program about Governor DeSantis. Uh, Stenberger had a lot of uh, praise for uh, DeSantis. Yes, uh, he was in studio yesterday, John Stenberger from Florida, who's known Governor DeSantis before he was governor. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyway, I was, I guess uh, I was, I was impressed by his uh, knowledge I, I knew this. I kind of knew this already. His, his knowledge of of uh, the the cultural worldview mm-hmm. war that's going on. Oh in yeah, our country and 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 it's spiritual as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> I mean, he knows he knows what the what the uh, secular left is up to. Yeah, and <clears throat> uh, so you know, some politicians they just speak in platitudes, mm-hmm. uh, or they just speak in uh, generalities. Mm-hmm. And now, now this audience he was speaking to, <clears throat> these people were, they were been around the block, okay? Right. He wasn't going to get by uh, speaking to them with uh, platitudes and generalities. Yes. So anyway, I thought folks would appreciate that. That's going to be, that speech that you just heard will be on the podcast for this show, which will be posted when, Brent? So right after the show today, like in half an hour or so. We will put the podcast up of this show that you're hearing now. And so the, the speech by Governor DeSantis, if you want to go back and listen to it again or send it to a friend or family member, you will be able to do that. It will be at AFR.net, AFR.net, and just click on the podcast for this show, which is called Today's Issues. All right, we'll be back in five minutes with Steve Paisley Jordan. Jordan, Jordan, my bad. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.